Welcome to the Aussie Nerds Podcast. I'm Daniel, and today Beth has brought in her favourite movie, The Breakfast Club. How's it going? Hello. It's going great. I'm so glad I saw this. If nothing else, just to be like, oh, that's where that's from. Yeah, it's kind of a a reference for a whole catalogue of movies, other pop culture references. It's... No other reason. I'm like, Jumanji just ripped this right off. If if this movie had a magic video game. <laughs> and and it, you know, it was kind of a template for every teen movie that followed it. Uh, it, it. All these characters are terrible people. And people think that that makes the movie bad. They're like, no, that's the point. But I think the point is that teens are all terrible people. I mean, you're going through a phase where everything is focused on me, 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 and you just don't see anything else. The movie starts with them writing that letter to the um, dean, headmaster, teacher, that prick. Yeah, principal in American language. Okay. So um, they were writing the letter to the principal and they're like, all you see is, and then they just name their archetypes. Yeah, all stereotypes. Yeah, so they know what they were doing. Uh, And then throughout the entire movie, we dig deeper into uh, these kids and why they're like this. Yeah, it's funny. See the, the stereotypes at the beginning, the little boxes that everybody fits into, and then you get a deeper and deeper and deeper thing of how they got to be in those boxes in the first place. If people uh, put you in a box, it's sometimes easier just to act like that. And it's certainly easier for other people to go, oh, that person's a jack, oh, that person's a princess, and not have to, not have to think any deeper about their existence, not have to interact with them on a deeper level, just look at the surface and move on. Exactly, which is ironically what people are doing with this movie. Oh yeah, at the beginning, all of the characters are just going, oh, checkbox, 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 you fit here, you fit here. I don't have to interact with you because you're in that box. Exactly. Um, And what I like is that uh, a angsty teens are just like, oh my god, I hate you because I was you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it matters what culture you're in. Teenagers are teenagers. Yeah, teenagers have been trying to not be their parents since the beginning of time. Exactly. Ah, <clears throat> uh, this movie is really fun, uh, and. Uh, and like they say like sexist and horrible things but it's like they're in detention for a reason they're in Saturday detention that knows that means you're fucked up well and I think that you know some of the point of the movie is you know when they walk in the door and you see the stereotypes you know it's obvious why John Bender is there he's he's the screw up he's the burner we know him in detention but trying to figure out why some of the other people are there, especially the the brain and the princess, you know, why on earth are these people there? Um, and the jock, especially, you know, usually at least within the states, jocks tend to get out of it, out of detention pretty quickly because you don't want to mess up anything else. Why are these people there? And you know, figuring out all the little things that go into that result is just fascinating. Uh, it's an interesting character study. This was under uh, like 10 movies you didn't realize didn't have a plot. Right, there's no actual point to it. Except to just get to know these characters. Yep, and and maybe do some self-reflection of 
you know, do I tend to put people in boxes and dismiss them without learning anything else about them? Exactly. And I was looking into uh, why this movie would have gotten made. And I'm guessing that is because of sitcoms. Because sitcoms have a very whitewashed, uh, safe version of teenagers, where they're a little bit rebellious, but not really. Um, like uh, family ties and stuff. Sure. So sure. it's just like, we're going to make what's some more realistic and uh, edgy version of teenagers. Yeah. What, and what's interesting about this movie is, you know, before Breakfast Club, movies released in the States aimed at youth were either really juvenile, you know, so they didn't, didn't relate to teenagers at all, no introspection on, you know, teenage life, or they were really raunchy, like the quirky movies, um, where it was just all about sex and rock and roll and drugs and alcohol. The Breakfast Club was really the first movie that looked into the teenage existence as it really was or is. That's interesting. Uh, how do you, how do you think they nailed it? For like 80s teens. Well, so the brilliance of John Hughes, the director in himself, uh, him developing the script and, and working with the characters, you know, this is one of many, many John Hughes hits where he absolutely nailed the viewpoint of the American teenager uh, where you know, nobody else has succeeded at that. Uh, John Hughes has made a lot of uh, teen movies. Yes, very successful ones. He got very rich off of you know the people in in that movie, Matthew Broderick, others. All launched successful careers, you know, springboarding off what they did for John Hughes. Uh, this one's your favorite, but what are some others that you really are into? Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is, is way up on that list in terms of John Hughes movies. Um, and of course, the, the Molly Ringwald trilogy of The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, and um, 16 Candles. The, um, the uh, Ferris Bueller is, it, this is like, uh, 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 Breakfast Club is a capture of teen life in the 80s. And apparently your success, uh, it was accurate because teens were like, yeah, I'm like that mom, more edgy and shit. But again, what was before then was really just juvenile, cheesy stuff. Um, it, it, you're all familiar in, in the States, we had what we call the ABC after school special, where oh. kids would come home from school and watch this thing um, on ABC, which is usually like an hour and always had some, you know, moral ending to it where, you know, maybe a teen had been in crisis and something happened and then everybody got a happy ending. But those were so cheesy that everybody hated them. You know, they, they were okay, you know, maybe for the, you know, 10 to 13 year old crowd, but after that, they were just like, and so the, the Breakfast Club was really the start of, you know, taking teens and their issues seriously. Um, this, was, this is a template for like all the other teen movies. Or at least oh, absolutely. Um, do you think that was for the better? Oh, certainly. And you know, when you think about the, the broad spectrum of, of teen movies we have today, as opposed to, you know, the, the absolute void there was before, I think it's given, you know, a real opportunity to, on a, on a sociology construct, think more about, you know, that adolescent development process um, and taking Seriously, you know how it is that we structure, you know, education and programs and outreach and everything else for teens, um, as opposed to 
again, the, the very cheesy, cheesy stuff that we had before. Um, and you know, for people like me who grew up, you know, on John Hughes movies and, and stuff that followed, you know, I think it's it's changed, you know, how American society functions in, in a very, very broad sense. Art makes people aware of the real world. Oh, absolutely. Even though these are broad stereotypes, they're still like uh, within people and teens, uh, they are um, these types of people and these pressures that are put on them. Yeah, and, and looking deeper at, you know, John Bender, you know, maybe working his way towards prison, but he didn't get there by accident. There was an environment that shaped that path for him. Um, the Anthony Michael Hall's character, I can't think of Brian Johnson, um, you know, he's the brain, and everybody had assumed that the brain in his own little meaty self had a fabulous life, but we learned, you know, even more about getting there isn't necessarily easy, and staying there is very difficult, you know, on a, on a psychological standpoint. One of the things that we know in our society is a lot of times the straight A students get to college and they flop uh, because they've been so focused on academics that they haven't looked at their broader perspective of their lives. When you focus on uh, one thing uh, completely, you miss everything else. Absolutely, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, we, we see that in our American universities is, is the people who are the straight A students don't always go on to have good academic careers or fulfilling lives. The um the modern version of this that took a look at teenagers and how um and how different types of people in school uh, work is Booksmart, which came out this year, and no one saw. Oh, I have not seen I think I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Booksmart is really good, and no one saw it, because uh, things like Breakfast Club and Booksmart teen comedies don't get a wider audience now because of streaming services. Uh-huh. Like, if it's not like a big spectacle movie, then what's the point of seeing it in a cinema? Right, it doesn't have all the special effects and all the the explosions, then I don't need to see it on the big screen. I will tell you I'm guilty of that some myself. Yeah, tickets are expensive, but uh, something like uh, Breakfast Club wouldn't have worked today because people would have just waited for it to be on Netflix. Which actually makes you wonder about the whole John Hughes era. You know, he he made himself he launched these actors on that style of film. You know, what would have changed if he came out today? Although he would have all been on Netflix. Uh, And because of that, it feels less of a communal experience. When you're watching a movie with a crowd, especially comedy. It makes it better. Mm. Yeah. He also did planes, trains, and audio and uh, automobiles. John Houston? Uh huh. Oh, I wasn't aware of that one. Yeah, I, I'm just looking through his IMDb. It's mainly teen stuff, but randomly there's planes, trains, and automobiles. This is a fabulous comedy. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving. I think. No, it's based in Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so John Candy's character is trying to get home for the holidays, and and Tom, one of the Steve Martin's character, except then you learn that John Candy doesn't actually have a home to go to. It's very funny, and uh, what I love about that is that it was PG, right up until the scene where he just swore for five minutes. Right. 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 <coughs> Which I, I appreciate that level of dedication. 
It's like, if we cut this out, we can get a PG. No. It's like, is the whole, is the end of his uh, breaking point. Which is actually one of the interesting things about the Breakfast Club is because there's profanity in there and, and some dragon sex references, it's rated R, um, which by definition would cut out most of the teen viewing population if we actually follow the rules, which we don't. Uh, I think it's good to not follow the rules for rating systems because the rating system is rubbish. <laughs> well, we, we get a little more worked up about profanity in the States. Uh, in, uh, with us here, uh, we don't give a shit about swearing. Uh, we care more about violence. Uh, yeah. yeah, Americans love violence, unfortunately. What I find very funny is that apparently recently the MPAA changed their rules. So now, uh, so now you can say things like shit like a lot and it doesn't change the rating because who cares? Right. Which is hilarious because that happened uh, towards the end of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe's arc in, uh, in the end game. So randomly... Um, Captain America is just swearing now, oh. which is hilarious because he didn't swear before. No, he, he was a clean-cut all-American boy. Oh God, Breakfast Club is great, and aside from Jumanji, which wholeheartedly ripped this off until they got into the video game. Uh, there's a got to be a bunch of others but I can't think of like specific ones right now I think pretty much any American teen movie where you you know see someone and then you learn something deeper about them <coughs> on the surface all falls into that breakfast book stereotype of, oh my goodness there's just so many the, the mean girls certainly movies falls into that um, there's a whole bunch more I suppose you're right. Um, the outsider coming into a group uh, is pretty is uh, similar to a bunch of outsiders becoming a group. Oh yeah. Uh, she's all that. Is that what pops into my head? Where the the nerdy girl is invited to join the popular group, and they transform her into one of them. That she always just want to be one of them. Um, that it's even been done on sitcoms. Oh yeah, there's ton. You're right. There's tons of them. The outsider joining a group, uh, and a group coming together. I I still can't believe how similar Jumanji is to this. <laughs> they even go to detention. Yes, they do. Oh God. The Breakfast Club is a great template to everything, and it was rebelling against uh, teen stuff that came before it. Not only the clean cut stuff, but also the sitcom version of teenagers, <coughs> where they're like, where, where they go out, but they like take drugs in that one episode about drugs, and that's it, which is great. Uh, and if nothing else, I got to know where that stupid gift came from. The one where he's lifting up his sunglasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. That gift has been around for ages and I've used it and I never thought to ask, what is that <laughs> from? Yes, the John Bender fist pump at the very end is, is very <laughs> much for culture. Which... Um, I, I did Classics Month, but this can be considered a classic. Not because it's very, very good, but because it's being used as a template for other movies. What do you think makes a classic? Oh, mercy. You know, certainly anything that stands the test of time. Um, you know, I, I don't 
think of Breakfast Club necessarily as a classic because it was something that was there when I was a teenager. Uh, but that is, I'm going to have to admit, over 35 years ago now. So I'm around still, and so is it. Um, you know, the classic elements, I think, are, you know, one, things that, you know, a large majority of people can relate to. You know, it's something that's not just something for this kind of person or something for that kind of person. It's something that has a very broad appeal, um, but also isn't just cheesy, fluffy stuff. It's something that's got, you know, some deeper thinking and some introspection and the opportunity to reflect. The, um, the teens reflect on themselves and we can reflect on all sorts of things. Ourselves, uh, the way we were as teenagers, which, God, was a bad time. Uh, and the way movies portray teens as well. I think now, uh, more than ever, are people going for realism with teens? Unless they're purposefully doing an homage to Breakfast Club like Jumanji or they're in a superhero movie. Right. Well, and I think, you know, Breakfast Club, some people stick Breakfast Club in the romantic comedy box and it really isn't. It definitely there. isn't. Um, you know, just, just because a couple of people partner up at the end, it does not make it a romantic comedy. You know, there's you know, a little Ellen romance there and a little you know, definitely some comedy going on, but this is very much a drama. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the concept of teen drama is a lot of the template for, for future movie development. The, um, the fact that this is both a comedy and drama uh, is interesting. It's very hard to mix those two genres. Yeah, and, and but it, it really does work. Um, the, there's a lot of it is heart wrenching, uh, but there's some genuinely laugh out loud moments in it. Oh yeah, that like when he comes back when the uh, I, I don't know his name, but when the guy comes back and he falls through the ceiling, he's like, "Forgot my pencil." Yep, John Bender. There you go. Or when um, he, uh, when Emilio Estevez's character, uh, Andrew Clark, high fives the dweeb and the dweeb flips over backwards in his chair. Love that scene. <laughs> um, <coughs> but there's also some like harsh drama. And as part of the not judging book by its cover, that principal wants to assault John Bender because he's. Because the man's a bully. I mean, he's. Yeah. He's, he's someone who is so insecure in his own existence that he feels the need to dominate over others. And it's just probably, I, I think part of what resonates with this movie with so many people is the image of an authority figure in their life when they were growing up who could have really helped them and moved them forward. They've been there for them and they just blew it. I think it's uh, uh, it's an interesting idea for um, to see authority figures uh, in that that have all the power, but are but don't realize that they do, mm -hmm. and it's not like they abuse their power. It's just like I'm just doing what I need to do, what I feel I need to do. You still be like power, but they're not doing it on purpose. Yep, just collecting my paycheck, doing my job, not caring a wit about other people around me or making the world a better place. It's like, um, the opposite is with that janitor. I love that janitor. He's in oh, two Yeah, it, I, well, and that's another one where the movie sort of sets the template for the future. 
you know, there's so many movies and sitcoms and other situations after that where you have the quote wise janitor character. There's someone you know, maybe they're a janitor, maybe they're a cafeteria worker, maybe they're you know the guy that comes over to clean the pool. But there's somewhere in that setup a person who might otherwise be looked down upon that people realize, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. The um, he just slides in. Uh, says two great speeches and slides out. And you're right, that's especially done in sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think Scrubs had someone like that. Well, they had a janitor, but he was not the wise man. <laughs> he was a, a, a definite troublemaker. True. But, you, but he still slid in and out of the movie, did his right. bit, and then left, and no one was the wiser. Right. <laughs> um, I, 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 this, this movie is really interesting when you start to see like the bigger picture of all the things it influences. And, okay. Well, the, all the movies you said, the fact that it influenced teenagers and how they identified as themse- uh, with themselves. And I don't know, you don't see many sitcoms anymore. There are a few, but I wonder if like movies like this really broke the um, the teen in the sitcom as a trope. Yeah, so I think just what you saw with Roz, I think the shift towards more reality television. You know, so if we're going to watch teens, we want to see teens doing actual stuff, not teens reading the script. That's true. Well, yeah, but it, but, uh, it feels more raw. Right. And even though they are scripted, they're scripted in editing and uh, and peer pressure. So it still feels real, even though we know that it's not. Right. <coughs> this came out the same year as uh, Back to the Future. Interesting. I didn't quite realize that. It, it's a great year for teen movies in general. Uh, let me check something. Uh, so yeah, the uh, teen movies, you had Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. You had, uh, you had this. The 80s were a great time for like the changing market, because before then, I think it was before Star Wars, but before Star Wars, you had like these uh, movies made for adults. And then with Star Wars in 1977 onwards, uh, they realized that teens were a huge market that they weren't tapping into. Buying power right there. Mm-hmm. Because they're old enough to uh, have money, but young enough not to have bills. And old enough to go do something on their own. Exactly. Because uh, before that, they were marketing to kids to pressure their parents. Right. All the cartoon movies and the Disney movies and all the other special things that were the old 10 and under crowd. Exactly. So the fact that uh, movies like this, Star Wars and and other blockbusters uh, aimed for teens changed the movie landscape in such a big way that we're still feeling it today. When I have a piece of that puzzle, you look at the explosion of teen movies in the 80s, and as we start to leave the 80s, we get the rise of the internet. And so we have you know, a greater ability to, to share information about pop culture. And I, I think that was also part of the whole transformation. 
That's true. You had, um, and you have teen movies now that are reflecting on that. Because when the, when the internet first started, the depiction of the internet was hilarious. Oh, yes. War games. Matthew Broderick's War games. Oh, Hackers. Hackers yeah. is the best movie. It's so stupid. <laughs> um, but, and you have to make hacking dynamic. The best one, holy crap. Okay, side note, this was made for $1 million. Oh, Breakfast Club, yeah, the, the budget was super cheap. Which, because you, you only had one recording location. You, know, you didn't have to go scout out a dozen sites. The cast is really small. You can count the cast on both hands. And except for the principal character, everybody else was almost an unknown. The idea of making any movie, even this one, for a million dollars. Oh, it blows your mind. It's incredible. Um, and, and they got quite the uh, payback on their investment. They yeah, nearly $2 million. Yep. That's literally 52 times their budget. And they were part of the reason why they kept it so low budget was they were pretty dang sure it was going to flop because, again, Nothing like this had ever been done before. Um, well, it made $52 million. That would be considered a flop by most stand, uh, today. <laughs> except for the rate of return. Yeah, except for the rate of return. The, the budget. The, oh, this made me, that's incredible. I don't know how inflation works. So... Uh, so Wow, I forget what I was saying, but that's why people budget themselves. It's like um, there used to be a bunch of like B movie monster movies uh, that um, were done super cheap. Yep. And now, like, you have the same premise as the B movie, uh, as the B movie monster movie, but they're also very expensive. Yeah, special effects take up a whole chunk of budget in a big hurry. Like, there's a movie called Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I've seen it. It's great. It is great. Stupid, but, but it's great. If it was made in the 80s, you could make that thing for like $50,000. <laughs> uh, but now it's it was 16 uh yeah it was 16.4 million no that was the box office oh crap uh yeah it grossed 16.4 million dollars but the budget was 28 million damn no one but us saw it. Well, I think the other thing when you think about, you know, budget and whether or not it's going to make it or not with The Breakfast Club, it's interesting, was John Hughes actually wrote The Breakfast Club first, but Pretty in Pink was filmed first. Not, excuse me, not Pretty in Pink. Um, Sixteen Candles was filmed first. And what had happened was he had Breakfast Club ready to go, uh, but the studio was so sure it wasn't going to work, they drug their feet in actually creating the movie. And while they were drag dragging their feet, John Hughes wrote 16 Candles, and they liked that. They thought that would be a good sell. So they released it first. They made it first. And that made its money. And then after that, they're like, all right, you can do this other one, which... We're not, we're not sure it's going to work. Turns out people love Breakfast Club and hate 16 Candles now. Oh, I, think, I, I think hate's pretty strong for 16 Candles. There's definitely, you know, we talk romantic comedy, 16 Candles pretty much follows in that club. Uh, I think probably every American teenage female in that era watched 16 Candles 
many, many, many times. The guy is not so much. All right. That's fair enough. And you can't dismiss stuff that's made for girls because that's stupid. Plus, we get a thing of sex. Yeah, uh, like James Cameron made Titanic, which uh, is arguably completely for girls. But what's great is that it's a romantic drama set on the Titanic. So all the girls are like, oh, Jack and Rose, great romance. It's really good. You should definitely see it. And then the guys are like, dude, this guy like, falls and then hits a propeller and starts spinning. It's awesome. <laughs> and a little tiny bit there for the history buffs. Yeah. <laughs> and and then it made the most money ever. It was it was quite the production. James Cameron must have the biggest ego because he's <laughs> like, I made Titanic and that made the biggest budget uh, the biggest box office in the world. I want to make Avatar, this movie that's basically Pocahontas but with tail sex, and it's also going to be the biggest budget in the world. Uh, and it did quite well, too. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> when you make nearly uh, $3 billion, you can make your four Avatar sequels. Go nuts. Right, right. Ditto for Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Star Wars was going to be a Flash Gordon remake, uh, but they couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon so he so George Lucas basically made uh, Flash Gordon, but with original characters, <laughs> which I appreciate. I like the I like low budget scruffiness uh, in filmmaking. Um, it's why I don't like the newest Star Wars ones because they're like just safe products. But with the original, they're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna make it. And Mark Hamill, I love Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill basically there was no security, there was no secret, so he just handed the script around to all of his friends. Oh Richard, can you imagine doing that now? Oh yeah. When the sequel came out, when Empire Strikes Back came out, there was tons more security on it because people started to care. Nice. <laughs> uh, I love um, teen movies. I think they at least are a great time capsule of, if not what teens were actually like, what we thought they were like. Yeah, like anything else, it's a stylized version of reality, but it's certainly a lot closer to reality than how we saw teens depicted before. Exactly. Like, for some reason, High School Musical got really popular. Right. And uh, it's because people that were in elementary school wanted high school to be like that. <laughs> uh, so uh, I like High School Musical. It's not good, but I dig it. It's cute. Mm. Um, it'd be like if High School Musical came out and then as a response, people made a, like a, a, a dark version of this, but still musical. <laughs> the Breakfast Club version of Responder High School Musical would be hilarious. <laughs> Imagine John Bender singing. <laughs> uh, th- this, this movie's really good. I want to look at like all the teen movies that came out afterwards because what, before like you got the archetypes that uh, people use, usually there's like three or four years where there's just a bunch of ripoffs. Right. And I want to see the Breakfast Club ripoffs. I want, I want to see the one where the year is like, we, we need something that looks like Breakfast Club. Could almost make like a breakfast club family tree and see okay you know this started with the breakfast premise breakfast club premise but went this direction this went started with the breakfast club premise but went that <coughs> direction and see how it sort of spins off from there exactly i think this influenced 
way more uh, teen movies and sitcoms, even like a, at a base level, like even just bringing teens into the light, into the spotlight. Well, you gotta wonder also, you know, Currently, instead of, you know, kind of the teen drama that you had in the 80s, the teen movies now tend to be more dystopian. Um, and I'm thinking the Insurgent series is, is a big example of that. And I wonder, you know, and Insurgent is actually based on a series of books, but I, I have to wonder how much influence there was. You know, in the Insurgent books, you have people... Uh, divided up into the essentially the, the skill of personality type. You know, so you have the people that are the warriors and people that are the farmers and people who are really smart. You know, how much of that goes back to something like Breakfast Club, where again people were divided out into boxes and then learned that they don't necessarily easily fit in a box. Well in uh, Breakfast Club they talk about how they don't want to be like their parents. Right. That is inevitable that you're gonna be like your parents. But now people see how shit the world is because of the internet. Uh, it's more obvious that the world is terrible and teens are rebelling against that. So it started with Hunger Games. Uh, right. And uh, teenagers are being more proactive uh, and trying to fight for causes that they believe in. So yeah, I think we're seeing a lot more of, in general, both in movie and in society, of people being willing to stand up and speak out for stuff that you know they think matters. Yeah, which, uh, which is great and has uh, its influences with, and reflects on how popular. Uh, dystopian movies are amongst teenagers. Oh, exactly. in, in the 80s, in the 80s we had that, uh, because, but with like adults fighting it, like uh, Running Man, uh, which with Running Man, by the way, I didn't know that that guy hosted uh, The Price is Right. Ah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, and knowing that the host of The Running Man was also the host of Price is Right made so much more sense. Um, but I, I find it interesting that people see the world as it is and want to change it. And that's the same with art. The reason that like Harry Potter is a small kid with black hair and green eyes is because like people like Richie Rich were like blonde hair and uh, blue eyes and people wanted to make something different to that. Well, I think, you know, we can look at Harry Potter, we can look at the Hunger Games, we can look at a lot of those types of movies. And, you know, when we fed kids those, those books and those movies growing up, oh no, they're starting to stand up and speak out. We told them that that's what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a good message because uh, people just accepting the world as it is won't change the world later when they have all the when they have all the power. Absolutely. Um, I I like uh, I like movies about science because they got uh, me interested in science, but they got like scientists interested in science as well. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, how many kids watch Star Wars when they were little and say, oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. The guy who invented the mobile phone based it off Star, off Star Trek's communicator. Oh, it's hysterical, I love it. Yeah, they saw the Star Trek Communicate the, the technology between Star Trek and real life is hilarious because you have the original Star Trek and then you have mobile phones and then you have uh, the next generation who are basically using iPads. Now you have iPads. Exactly. 
which is why I'm really interested in watching Discovery to figure out what we're going to have in the next 30 years. <laughs> um, with classic movies, uh, you have Star Wars as like, this is when the new uh, pop culture started. And then before that, like people don't track down movies unless they're interested. And because not many people are interested in older movies, which is sad and they should be because they're really good. Uh, streaming services don't put them on to their uh, service because they're not going to be making them the money. They're not the reason you're there. Yeah, which uh, sucks. And it's, it's why I, I have still got a giant DVD collection. Yeah, ours is fairly extensive too. Yeah, I'm going to keep my DVDs forever. <laughs> or until they get replaced with something else. If I can, re trust me, I don't like DVDs. If I can replace them with digital copies, I will. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love talking about Breakfast Club. It was, a, uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, anything else you think we should talk about? Well, yeah, I think with the Breakfast Club, that I wonder if people always realize is, you know, how much that has influenced some of the ways that we look at, um, you know, how we view sexual harassment. You know, right now we're in oh, the yeah. Me Too movement. Um, but in Breakfast Club, when John Bender crawls under the table to hide from the principal and he can see up uh, Claire's skirt, that was a whole new moment for a whole lot of people. And I, I, I read stories about people you know, loving the movie, but that moment in and of itself was just too much because you know, she really got uh, kind of stuck in a bad situation there. And Molly Ringwald was talking about, you know, years later looking back on it, realizing that was just really not an acceptable situation. Yeah, because before then, he was just an asshole and uh, sexually harassing. He was sexually harassing her throughout the entire movie. But this was the movie uh, seeing that as being funny instead of horrible. I think all those things when, when you're you're younger and you don't you know you're not necessarily aware you think it's funny and then looking back on it later you're like oh wow that's crap um and one of the things you know, if you're reading more about the history of the movie one of the things that you find out is that because um and i'm not going to really come up and say the guy that plays john bender he was very much a method actor, so he's changing character all the time, which meant not only during the movie, but the entire time they were filming the movie, he harassed the heck out of Molly Ringwald. What an um, asshole. Yes. Uh, uh, shoot, I can't think of his name. It, and so at one point, John Hughes was actually going to kick him off the movie because he was being such a jerk. And the other characters, including Molly Ringwald, uh, lobby for him to stay. Judd Nelson, that's his name, Judd Nelson. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not good. Um, I hate method actors because that's not what method actor means. You don't have to stay in character, you just have to like uh, draw from influences in your own life. Like, um, I forget his name, but the guy that played the Joker, like oh, just, just Jared Leto. Oh yeah, um, he just harassed all of his, um, all the other character, all the other actors, and I'm like, that's not what the Joker does. Oh. He's he's just weird. He's a clown that kills people. Like one of the reasons that I love um, the Princess Bride so much is because they just acted, and then all the behind the scenes stuff is that they were delightful to each other. 
Right. Uh, so yeah, the sexual harassment thing, that's the reason that people don't like 16 Candles as well, because I've um, never seen it. Yeah. But and apparently there's... What's that? There's a massive date rape scene in there. Yeah, that's why, that's what people uh, hate about it. That's why people don't like the movie anymore. And, like, that shit, I'm glad that like, we don't think that it's acceptable anymore. It's... Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. You know, is it is it bad to have it in the movie because it's normalizing that behavior, or is it good to have it in the movie because this happens in real life and if you're going to talk about the real things that happen to, to teenagers and the real situations that they find themselves in doesn't it have to be there it depends on context right there's a very difference uh, there's a very big difference between someone um being raped in a movie and then having the movie say that it's funny that's why right. revenge of the nerds is the worst. Oh yeah. Uh, so it, it depends on context. Um, all in all, I, I like this movie. I think Jumanji's better because it has all this, but also a magic video game. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm glad that I found the template to everything. Uh, also see um Book smart. Can do. I think you'll dig it. Yeah. Uh, do you have a podcast? I do. Um, I have a podcast called The Rural Health Voice, where we look at rural health issues in Virginia and what policy changes can be done at the state and federal level to impact what's going on locally. That's awesome. Um, I'll leave a link to that in the description as well as like any social media that you might have. Fabulous. <laughs> um, you can follow me at Aussie Nerds Pod on Twitter, Aussie Nerds on Facebook. Subscribe to this podcast. Each week I talk to a guest about their favorite movie. Uh, if you want to come on, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about your favorite movie. Uh, just tweet me at Aussie Nerds Pod. All the links to all our things will be in the description. Uh, it's great. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Great opportunity. Thank you for. Um, it, I've been. This has been on my uh, watch list forever. So I'm glad I finally got to see it. All right, Eva. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>